Welcome in. Happy to have you here on this uh, Tuesday morning. I believe it is still an oven in the studio <laughs> and much more pleasant at John's house. So I, I'm going to run under the assumption that that's the case. Yes. Uh, technology apparently was being tricky again, but we got it all worked out. So that's Just barely. Good. Yeah. I, I wish <laughs> at some point folks could see exactly how like seat of the pants this entire operation is. And it worked and fine yesterday. Did it just I, not? Well, it, and actually it didn't. I mean, we, we were well, I mean, the for the first. Yeah. For the first 10 minutes of the show, uh, for one reason or another, one of my MacBooks has decided that it's not going to play nice anymore. So I got fine everything set up for that to happen. Oh, yeah. I got everything set up and it was all perfect. And I'd sent out all the, the invites and all of the emails emails that I needed to send out and then three minutes before the show found out no it's not working I need to swap computers so yeah that happened in the space of about 30 seconds <laughs> it's I'm sure between the two of us I have so many stories of that like at some point if I, if a book ever oh, yeah. were to be written about how we all handled things in the pandemic and the different places <laughs> that we all had to do this work from the stories that I could tell about the varying the length of cords I had running from one and how quickly I got that set up. Yeah, it's Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that was that was one of the things that I tried today that was a little bit different from yesterday is I decided, you know what, instead of using Wi Fi, I'll just put a wire directly into my router from the MacBook that was giving me problems and see if that solves the problem. And you know, sure enough, it, it didn't. <laughs> well, here we are. We have made it all work. Uh, there's your little your little look behind the scenes there. Uh -huh. uh, speaking of behind the scenes, Shawnee City Council members last night met in executive session in a meeting that I didn't know was happening beforehand. I mean, it was an executive session, but they still have to come out and take the action in open session uh, and took action that I didn't think they were going to take. No, and, and for all of the reasons that we thought they were going to take the action that they eventually did, it seems like a really, really bad idea. Now, just to, to go as quickly as possible through this entire scene, the city manager had a video that showed up in, in multiple emails to multiple city employees sent anonymously of the city manager performing a sex act by himself on his couch. How it got into the hands of the anonymous emailer, we still don't know. Who the anonymous emailer was, we still don't know. But the uh, the city manager, now former city manager, was placed on paid leave while the, the city council tried to decide what to do. And in the middle of all of that, there was an election in which two incumbent city council people were defeated, voted out, and the one who was running for mayor was also defeated by a former member of the city council. Just crazy, but that's where we were until the action that was taken by the city council last night. All right, I have a quick question. How many city council members are there? And Shani, I'm looking real fast. I believe fast. there are six. Okay, because story I have says all seven of Shawnee's council members in seven. attendance okay. voted I could easily to, it just makes convinced. me wonder, was anybody yeah. missing? Well, um, and, and that was, pardon me for interrupting, but yeah, that was another thing about the initial action that was taken is that, uh, and that's probably where I got the number six from, there were only six city council members who were present at the initial meeting where the city manager was placed on paid leave. So apparently one of them either didn't make the meeting or wasn't, you know, decided not to vote or whatever. But uh, yeah, so now all seven have decided that uh, it's time for the city manager to go.
So the only reason that we can go on is, and they didn't didn't answer questions last night. We just know that they voted seven to zero to terminate the contract for cause after meeting in closed session for one hour. In case you've forgotten about his contract, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, his contract says if he's terminated for cause, city doesn't have to pay him severance. So that's a big deal. Seemingly, the reason that they did this was not because of what he did, which wasn't necessarily, there's just so much we don't know about that. It's the fact that he failed to report that that video had been sent to city employees. He didn't tell the council about it. How that is a fireable offense. I mean, I'm not a lawyer and the city has Uh a lawyer that I'm sure they talk to. How is that a fireable offense? That's a great question, especially considering the fact that under Kansas law, the city manager is the victim here, not the criminal. The city manager took no action that was criminal in nature of any kind. Somebody surreptitiously got a hold of that video. It's also very irritating that we still don't know who that was and mm-hmm. that there doesn't seem to be any heat on that. We'll get back to that in a minute. But yeah, uh, how is that a fireable offense when the the city employees, the city council maintained that even though the video was sent out, I believe on October 27th, They didn't find out for weeks after the video had been sent. So they were irritated about that. But did none of the city employees who received the video tell the council? And and did the city manager even know, by the way, that the video had been sent out at that point? If the city council didn't know, did he know? And do those city employees, again, we're having to do a lot of what-ifing, which is annoying, as you said. Yes. But if those city employees... The city employees who received the video, are they also obligated to tell the city council or tell their superior? And if they didn't, is that a fireable offense for everybody? Right, because the the way that they're doing it now is the city council is making it sound like he hid it. He covered it Mm -hmm. up. Now, if there's information to that end, okay, fine. But how about we have that? How about you give that to the public? If there's information that somehow the city manager was involved in some kind of attempted cover up behind all of this which is the intimation, but again, they didn't say that, and they certainly didn't give any evidence that that was the case. So, I mean, again, what you're left with is a city council that just voted to fire somebody who was the victim of a crime. And it it just, I want to know what the justification is for that. And I think every member of the, I mean, every citizen of Shawnee ought to really know the, the reason behind all of that. So the lawyer that he is going to get one would assume in the wrongful yeah. termination lawsuit that he is no doubt going to file because i would if i were him based on what we know the question i'm i would be asking is where in writing does it lay out this thing that he did wrong where what policy is in place where in the handbook for the city or in his contract or whatever it is Does it include the paragraph, and if it is there, I'm sure it's ambiguous, but include a paragraph that says he would have had to to tell the city council? And I'm sure if there is a paragraph, it's something like, if you are involved in anything that could make the city look bad, I mean, I'm sure it's put more eloquently than that, you have an obligation to tell the city council. That way they can take it however they want. Yeah, and and I mean, the, the amount of information that has not yet been disclosed about this is just stunning when you realize, again, the citizens of Shawnee are directly affected by this and directly affected by the action that the board is taking. So 
what percentage of city employees got the email? Did any members of the council get the email? We don't know the answer to that either. They seem to be saying, well, you didn't tell us, so we didn't know. Does that mean that nobody on the council got it? That nobody on the council was aware of it at all until the disclosure was finally made via the Kansas City Star? How many new city council members do we have? How many turned over? Uh, Pardon me. So you would have three. There was one open seat, and I believe that open seat was for the council member who was running for mayor. So you had, right. So you had an open seat on the council. You had two new members, but the election just happened. I don't think they've been sworn in yet. I don't think that happens for a little while. I don't think it's an immediate turnover. So one could guess that the city council that voted on this termination was the same city council that was there three weeks ago. Okay. At half a second of concern that city council members that just won their elections six days ago voted on this, but that's not, you're right. That's, they wouldn't have been sworn in yet. They haven't had a meeting to swear them in yet. Um, 913-586-7798, if you have thoughts here. Um, and I guess I just, it's just such an ambiguous reason, but I would ask all of you to think about your own jobs. I don't even know how to categorize this because I don't know what policy he violated. But I'll just say, if you did something similar and and, and put that however you want, yeah. would you be obligated to tell your employer? Right. Or and, should and, you be? And we still, I mean, in addition, let's add on to the pile of things we don't know yet. Where was that video made? And when I say where, I know on the couch in the guy's house. What I mean is, how did it get online? Was, was that as was in the conversations with the Kansas City Star, there was a mention of a chat room. Okay, so is that what happened? And if so, what chat room are we talking about? What was the city manager doing in there? And by the way, how old is that video? Uh, that's a good question. Uh-huh. And does it matter? Right. If this is something you did five years ago, long before you ever got the job, would you have any idea that this was still floating out there? And and where is the heat on getting to the bottom of who is the criminal in this? Who is the person who emailed that video out? That person committed a crime. And, and as far as we know, we have heard absolutely nothing about an investigation into that crime. That's a really good point about when it was made um, because he just got this job in March. So if that, number one, can you even tell when it was made? Do we even know when this happened? And should he be held responsible for telling the city council about things that he did that were legal before he got this job where it didn't matter? It, it might, maybe it matters more that your city manager but should you still be responsible for it? And again, he didn't put it out there. It's, it's, but for what happened in the video and for the fact that, does he even know that somebody had it? Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, before it was emailed out and, and how long did it take for a word to get back to him that the email had gone out? Uh, and before it went out, you're right. I mean, would he have had any idea that anybody other than the initial recipient, the initial intended recipient of that video, who for all we know was his wife, right? That, you know, would, would he have had any idea that anybody else somehow got a hold of it? And if so, how? I need someone to, someone who knows more about the law than I do, particularly employment law. I need someone to tell me the circumstances under which the city can fire him and not be challenged on it. They have lawyers. I, I assume 
you know, the lawyers they've been talking to for the last however many weeks since this came out. What about this would make this a fireable offense where he would have to tell the city council about it? Unless it's as simple as what I said, he signed something and this falls under some category of something he signed. And how specific would that thing have to be? I mean, I don't, you're right. I don't think there's a line in there that probably says, by the way, if there's video of you, you know, performing a sex act on a, on a couch somewhere and it gets anonymously emailed to half of the city employees, uh, you have to tell the city council that. I mean, come on. 913-586-7798 if you want to get in here. Still to come this hour, um, I'm starting to get, I'm starting to see these stories all the time now and they're really, they just get to me every time I see it. We have another case of police destroying someone's house and being wrong about it. And in this case, the federal court got involved. We'll get to that coming up here on KMBZ. Phone number 913-586-7798. Okay, we go to Texas for this next story. McKinney, Texas. This comes down to a decision police made to try to scare a suspect out of a house and a wrong decision that they made about that. And what was in a woman's insurance policy? Wow, this story. I mean, first of all, it should be noted for the record that the woman in question, the last time we had a conversation about a woman who had had her home destroyed and was effectively out on the street because of it, it was an ex-boyfriend. And that's not the case here. This case is so much worse than that one in a number of ways. But, I mean, the tenuous relationship that this woman had to the guy who broke into her house is one that really should make you think about having any kind of of contact with anybody. I mean, it's crazy because this was a contractor that she had hired to do some work on her house months before. Two years before. Yeah, oh, sorry, thank you. Two years Mm -hmm. before. And so all of a sudden, he bursts into her house unannounced with a young underage girl that he has kidnapped. That's the beginning of the story, and that was what precipitated the police response. So the story's out of Fox News. Uh, her name, where is her first name? Vicki Baker is her name. She had uh, retired to Montana, so she was not in the house at the time, but still owned this house in McKinney, Texas. This is summer of 2020. Her adult daughter was at the home. She had sold this house, and the sale was almost final. Uh, a handyman that she hired two years before storms into the house with a teenage girl that he had kidnapped. So Vicki Baker's daughter leaves the house, calls police, and this suspect, Wesley Little, stays inside with the 15-year-old girl in a backpack. So police show up. He eventually releases the teen, but he holds up in this house and refuses to surrender. Told police he had terminal cancer, wasn't going back to prison, knew he was going to die, and was going to shoot it out with the police. So... They came in with what Vicki Baker called shock and awe. They smashed her new fence. They fired dozens of tear gas canisters through the walls, windows, and roof, and used what she described as a bomb to blow off the garage door. Police later told her the goal was to confuse the target. The problem is, by the time police did all of that and entered the house, Wesley Little had already taken his own life. Yeah, now- Unnecessary. Right. It it differs from the previous story in a number of ways. First of all, in the previous story where it was the boyfriend who had broken in or that police had gotten a tip that he had, they were wrong. The tip was wrong. He wasn't even there. In this case, as you said, the guy was in there, but he had already killed himself. So it's left with all of this damage. And 
initially there was a refusal by the city to pay for any of it. They cited qualified immunity, which means that if there's a crime going on, they can take any means necessary, including destroying a place like they did. That's legal. Under the law, you can do that uh, because they have to get the suspect. They have to you know, protect public safety and everything else, so they have to go in there and do what they did. They didn't know that he had killed himself, so as you said, it was unnecessary, but they didn't know that at the time. So she sued and sued successfully initially and was awarded a, a judgment that the city was going to have to pay to make the house whole. Now that's in question two. So um, I want to talk about her insurance, her insurance policy really fast because it excludes damage caused by the government. Yep. And it says most do. So just keep that in mind. So city offers to pay full amount of damages, although I question that a little bit. Her dog died as a result. I mean, was left blind and deaf and had to be put down. I mean, so I don't know how you how you come to that amount. So her and she team lost re- the sale too. Sorry, but right. yeah, I mean that's, yeah. that's another thing is that the the fire oh, obviously dropped out. They didn't want a house that had been bombed out by the cops. And what's that house going to be worth now? I mean, you can what's what, what does that even mean? Full amount of damage to what yeah. scale does that get it back? So her team refused to settle unless the city also changed its policy so that future homeowners wouldn't be in this situation. Um, But the city wouldn't do it. So then a federal judge got involved and a jury awarded her $59,000 in damages, which doesn't seem like enough when you figure what damage there was to this house. Sure, but it's better than nothing. Yeah, so city appeals and then this goes to the fifth circuit court of appeals so keep in mind city's already agreed to give her a settlement federal court upheld that settlement and awarded her fifty nine thousand dollars she they appeal and this goes to the fifth circuit court of appeals says it was necessary for police to do everything that they did they reversed the earlier court ruling giving her the fifty nine thousand dollars and so now she gets nothing Right. She doesn't get that. She doesn't get the settlement from the city. And the city isn't about to offer her any more money because they just got a federal judgment that said, you don't owe her a dime. There was no reason for any recompense here at all. Uh, According to Fox News, they said the city claimed in court, never claimed in court, that such a necessity justified an exception to pay for the damage, meaning that's why they offered the initial settlement. But the Fifth Circuit decided, yeah, there's an exception here. You had to go in and do what you did, so you don't owe her anything. And if it just not had, if it had just not gone through the appeals process, it almost makes me think if she had just taken the city's original settlement, I hate this story so much for this reason. I know. <laughs> because she's the victim here. You know, she's the one whose house was destroyed. But if she had just taken the city's original settlement and not been hung up on the policy change, she'd have the money, not all of it, but at least some of the money to fix her house. And really the judgment by the Fifth Circuit uh, Court here backs up the city's initial claim or or backs up the city not wanting to change the policy because Mm -hmm. according to federal law the policy they have is legal they can go in and destroy your but if they have reason to do it they can go in and destroy your place and not give you a dime to do anything to fix it and that exception on insurance policies that's something i've got a meeting a a little later this week with my insurance guy Mm -hmm. and you better believe we're going to be having that conversation it's like is there a writer in there that says if the cops destroy my place i don't get any money for it because that needs to change i know some of you work in insurance because you've called the show before is there is there anything that you can do (laughs) 
with any kind of policy anywhere that protects against this, because I don't know, I, we don't know how nice of a house this was. I mean, we've got a picture there. It looks decent. You know, it's got two car garage out front. I don't know what it sold for, but she's sort of out twice. She's got to spend the rest of the money to fix this. If it can be fixed or if it's just got to be torn down. Plus she uses, loses the money from the sale, which no doubt was higher than what she would get out of it now. Sure, and and probably a lot higher than the $60,000 she was initially awarded. So, yeah, I don't know what she's going to do. I mean, at this point, now she's effectively lost everything and is left with no money in return. Somebody just asked, why would her homeowner's insurance not just cover the damage? Because the policy says they don't have to. Yep. So they're not going and to. In the same way the city isn't going to volunteer, the insurance company sure isn't going to volunteer to do something that it's specifically outlined in the policy is not covered. 913-586-7798. Again, if any of you have some knowledge of insurance, we would love to benefit from that. Take a break. We'll get to your comments next here on KMBZ. So we're talking about the story out of McKinney, Texas here real quick. Um, some of you are just baffled by the idea it's one thing if the city won't cover damage that cops do to your house when they're trying to get the guy but some of you are completely baffled by the fact that your insurance company won't cover it yeah i mean because if you asked i'm sure most of us would think well yeah i mean that's why i pay for homeowners insurance if something i had no control over happens and destroys my house that's when insurance should should step in now they have a rider for damage that was done by the government but interestingly um, this is something else that came up off the air. The idea that that should only that rider should only take effect if you're the criminal, if you yourself are the reason why the cops came in and destroyed your house. I mean, if yeah. they came in to get you, that's one thing. But in this case, they came in to get somebody else. She had zero control over that. Now, should is one thing, but does it actually say that in the rider? Probably not. Or she'd be able to sue the insurance company for the damages. And how much is that rider? I mean, you start to think about all the riders that you can get on your homeowner's insurance. Yeah. What are the chances that that's actually going to happen? And those add up. I mean, even if it's yeah. 20 bucks a year, how many of those are you going to get? Yeah, we, we talked a little while ago about the $3 a month I pay for earthquake insurance. Right. <laughs> you know, it's it's here. So, yeah, why not? Uh, 3 bucks a month isn't going to cost me much. But, yeah, how much would that cost if you didn't have that in there? The other thing is, and so a couple of you have pointed this out on the text line as well, could she go after the criminal's estate? Could she go after his family or you know, sue them in some way to try to get recompense? Maybe, but your average guy who kidnaps a teenage girl and holes up in your house probably isn't worth a whole lot. No, um, this happened in 2020. Boy, that's interesting. My experience with dealing with an estate and John, tell me yours might be different. My experience with dealing with an estate in Illinois is that um, you have to open like an estate account and you have yep. to, we had to publish one in the newspaper. I don't know what, I don't know what they do now, but you have to publish something in the newspaper, allowing people six months to make claims against the estate. We, yeah, if, we had to do it in New York and Florida and they were both the same as your experience in Illinois. And if it's after six months, you're not really respond as, as the executor of that estate, you're not really responsible for that. After six months, they can't come looking for it. My guess is you're well past the window of time where she could even go after that money from the estate. Very likely. And I mean, going after his family, 
Uh, I mean, are they responsible? I mean, would, would a jury really look at this guy's family and say, yeah, you need to make this woman whole for something that your idiot brother did or whatever? The family's not responsible, but it's it's not the family. It's his estate. It's it's him. You know, it's not his right. family just benefits from what's there as his estate. Texter <laughs> says adjuster yes. here. I'm not aware of a single policy that would cover this. There's not even a right. There's there's no addition that you can put on your your homeowner's insurance. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I I mean they they said in the article most don't. Most insurance policies do not cover damage by the government. So if he's right about that, then it may just be something that none of them does so that I mean if if no insurance company covers it, then yeah, you're not you you wouldn't be able to even buy that up. I, I don't know how likely it is. I mean, it seems like somebody should be out there selling that insurance, honestly, because I, I don't know how likely it is that this kind of thing happens. We've had two stories about it in the last couple of days, but it doesn't mean that it happens every week. Well, at least this time, the city initially offered a settlement. Now, it probably wasn't enough, but they at least offered it initially. In that case that we talked about out of Oklahoma, that guy wasn't even there, and she was still on the hook for it. Sure. So, and they just left her holding the bag completely. Yeah. Who's got the money just kind of sitting around just in case? I mean, in that case, you'd have to sell your house to pay for whatever damage was done to the house. You'd have to sell the property. Wow. wow. I, yeah. I, I, I don't know what kind of GoFundMe we're going to see behind this one either. I mean, it seems like that's the only way that we have left of making people whole when something <laughs> they had nothing to do with really goes wrong and costs them a lot of money. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for getting in. Uh, hopefully, we'll stop with these here for a bit. Then we go to another one of our uh, frequent conversations here, HOAs and condo boards and what they can make you do out of the Palm Beach Post. Yeah, this came from a letter to the editor. So it wasn't even an article about a thing that happened, but it apparently happens often enough that this got published in the Palm Beach Post and their real estate expert gave a... Uh, or their HOA and condo expert gave a, a response to this. What they have is the person who wrote the letter is not the one in question. I guess they have a relative who lives in a condo and the condo has a condo association as they all do. But what it says is that if you, they, they don't allow pets generally, but they have to allow service animals anywhere. A human being can go. A service animal can go too, And that includes into an apartment that doesn't normally allow pets. So what they did is they put a, a clause in the homeowners association or the condo association rules that says, if you have a service animal, you can't just let it pee on our property. You have to carry the service animal off property, then put it down and let it pee somewhere else. Because if you walk it, it might pee on the way. Yeah, exactly. Right. And <laughs> and you wouldn't be able to stop that. So, right. I mean, obviously, if it does the other thing, you could pick that up with a bag, but they don't really want that happening either. And just the idea, I mean, you think about the, the number of people who have service animals and 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 have them for physical reasons. And you're telling that person, pick your <laughs> uh -huh. dog up and carry it off the property. Are you kidding? I don't. There's no way to ask this without being gross. But what's the danger in a dog peeing on the ground? I mean, there's a courtyard outside of, of, of my place here. What's yeah. the danger in a dog peeing in the courtyard? It ruins the grass. It does? 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's okay. not great. I mean, if, okay. if you have a dog peeing on the grass in the same place all the time, it's not great for the grass. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, in terms of, is there any? I mean, urine is sterile. Okay, so is is there any thing that could happen to somebody because the dog peed on the grass? No, of course not. I mean. Wow. Let, let me let me take a real stretch here for a second. Yeah. I'm trying to think under what circumstances it would be unhealthy or dangerous. And this is me not knowing much about the biology of this. The only logical thing I can think of is like if your kids are playing in the grass. Yeah. And kids put everything in their mouths. I sure. mean, that's that's but, all I can think of where somebody would come into contact with it. Well, yeah, and, and I mean, even though they have this rule that says you need to carry your dog off the property, because the person who sent the letter said, look, is this just a way that they're trying to snake around the rules that what they really want is for no dogs to be there in the apartments, even service dogs? So they're going to make a ridiculous rule like this to make it unappealing because they can't write a rule that says you can't have a service dog in here. Right. But if they make it untenable, then you would find some other place to live. And uh, the, the response they got was they get away with this because the Fair Housing Act battles can be time consuming and expensive. And most people don't have the knowledge, funds or motivation to fight over these issues, which is even more maddening. So what they, they wrote a rule that if it is a, a way to try to snake around the laws that force them to allow service dogs in, that's illegal anyway. You can't do that. You, you can't just backdoor a rule that doesn't really exist on paper, but. It, it achieves the same end. So the problem is most people don't have the, the the money to go ahead and fight the condo association over it. And again, what if you're not mobile or yeah. easily mobile? To, I mean, it's one thing if you're, um, like some people can walk with a walker and stuff, but you can't carry a dog with you while you do that. Then what do you do? Yeah, safe to assume that most people who live in condos in Palm Beach are also not 20. <laughs> right, right. Wow. Boy, sometimes we hear things for the first time. This is one of those things that I've never heard. <laughs> Just... And yet nothing should surprise me anymore. No, that's true. Yeah, the lengths that they will go to sometimes to pass these rules and make people live by them. And they it, they don't care if it's illegal. They don't care if the rule that they just passed has any legal merit to it whatsoever. They're going to go ahead and pass it anyway and then wait for somebody to sit back and start the fight so that they can sick their lawyers on them. Yeah, somebody just said on the text line, legitimate service dogs are generally pretty big. I am completely able-bodied, and there's no way I could lift my 70-pound golden retriever. The rule's ridiculous. Yeah, that's a really yeah. good point. Usually service oh, dogs yeah. are not chihuahuas. The last, our buddy Lon Hodge, who comes on with us to talk about service animals from time to time, every, every time there's an issue like this, he trains them and runs an organization to do that for a living. That's what he does. And the dogs that they train are all Labradoodles. They all run 60, 65, mm -hmm. 70 pounds. They're all big dogs. Yeah. Um, I, ju I just, I get that you don't want dogs, but. I, I don't. Dogs are awesome. <laughs> but they're not everybody's thing. And if they tear I up know, the grass or if you're whatever, I mean, fine. But whoever thought of this is just, that, that took some work. Like somebody sat in a room and said, what rule do we need to create to make it as difficult as possible for everyone to have a service dog? And no this doubt. is what Leave they came up with. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll take a break. Coming up, uh, we have yet another person who was not prepared for the wilds of Colorado. And again, we have a guy missing from a Carnival cruise ship. Get to all that coming up here on KMBZ. All right. We go to 
I don't know if it's Chaffee County or Chaffee County, Colorado. Credit to their county search and rescue who put a very, very detailed post on Facebook about this hiker who decided to summit a 13-footer, 13,000-footer, wearing just a hoodie and no supplies for it. Yeah, uh, nothing to keep warm, no food, no nothing. Just figured, yeah, 13,000 feet, I can do that. In a cotton hoodie in Colorado in November. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I don't have enough adjectives to describe what a dumb idea that was. And as you might imagine, boy, you know, it started to get real cold and then it started to snow and he got stuck. Now, when he got stuck, he made a decision that I'm not sure exactly how good of a decision this was. Now, he did live through this, so I guess we can say he probably made the right call. But instead of staying where he was, however high up he got on the mountain, he decided to use an avalanche chute to slide down the mountain. And uh, they said he, he was eventually found east of Cottonwood Lake. They found footprints. They didn't. They couldn't get a GPS signal for the guy. So he had a they, phone, they, but... Yeah, he had a phone, but but they couldn't get it triangulated to find out exactly where he was. So they found footprints in the snow, and they just kept following the footprints. And I love this line in the story. It says, uh, six to eight inches of snow. They followed the footprints until they came to what they thought was, quote, an unusual-looking rock. It was not a rock. It was him uh, sitting upright in a fetal position covered in snow. Here's the thing about the avalanche shoot. Uh-huh. Um. The word avalanche means that is where snow and ice are going to come falling down. The chute is there for all of that to go. I don't know if it's naturally created. I don't probably, but it, it means that that's where all the stuff goes when it falls. So I get the efficiency that he's probably thinking. He just slides <laughs> down that chute and there you go. Right. The problem is you're more likely to be buried under snow and ice that way because it's an avalanche shoot. They said rather than, because what they had advised was going back the way he came, that they said rather than do that, he went down the avalanche chute. Um, so all they knew is that he was in this avalanche chute east of Cottonwood Lake. Somewhere. It a, somewhere. It was a 12 hour rescue operation that ended at two o'clock in the morning. It took them three hours from the time they located him until they got him out of there because they had to warm him up first because before they could even transport him. Ropes had to be used to lower this guy one section at a time. And he finally, like they needed to warm him up because at some point he was going to have to walk out of there. And so yeah, eventually yeah. he did. And it was freezing bloody cold. And he had been there, I mean, with snow piling up on his back for who knows how long before the rescuers got there. Now, look, I'm not a hiker. <laughs> I, you're not going to find me in the Rockies climbing anything at any time. But if for some reason I ever got that inkling of, you know, it's November, let's go to Colorado and climb a 13,000 foot mountain. I'm pretty sure I'm bringing something with me other than a cotton hoodie. In all seriousness, it's a dangerous, deadly situation that you have to take seriously. Yeah. It's the same people that think they can just go climb Mount Everest. Because they can walk. Because <laughs> somebody did it, so Cause, I cause, must be able to. Yeah, because I can walk far. I'm I'm good. I can I can run a marathon. I can, you they underestimate again. This wasn't just a little hike. This was a thirteen thousand foot mountain. 
they just underestimate how dangerous that can get. They don't think about what, what are you doing just wearing a hoodie in November? You wouldn't just go outside in Colorado in a hoodie, let alone on a mountain. Uh, Yeah, I'm trying to, oh yeah, here it is. Uh, I couldn't remember if it was two or three, but just this past July in that exact same area in Colorado, Authorities found the decomposing bodies of three hikers who may have been missing since last winter. So this is a place that's hard for anybody to go hiking and climbing and all of that stuff, much less in November in Colorado wearing a cotton hoodie. I I would love to know what he had on his feet. Was he even wearing snow boots or did he just have some like loafers? I mean, that's the kind of thing you wear crampons for. Yeah. You wear the, the... Yeah, I mean, that's what they're called. But the they're little like claw the, foot thingies. Yeah, the claw feet. Um, so for my next trip, I'm considering part of that trip will be a glacier hike. And I was just reading about it last night about like what you do in preparation. And it's a guided thing. But one of the first things they say on there is you will need four layers of clothing. Like they're serious about it. Hands, everything, you know. You have to be able, like, I even wondered if I'm fit enough for it, but they're like, you really have to be able to do it. Yeah. I mean, this is, I I just don't, this is becoming the new Mount Everest. I I saw some people that were talking about this online this morning, kind of a, you know, a chat group about stories like this. And one of them said, yeah, I wonder what part of Los Angeles he's from. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. yeah, It's like, you know, this guy's from the coast and he's just out there going, yeah, this hoodie's nice and warm. I, I should be fine. Or Florida. Like, didn't we have that story once where it was guys <laughs> yeah. from Texas that went into the Colorado mountains? Same thing. Yep. They got lost. <laughs> so, of course, then the rescue crews came out with a list of, like, everything you should do for safety reasons before you go do a hike like this. And one of the first, one of the things I'll always remember is they always tell you to change the voicemail message on your cell phone. In case your cell phone dies, say on that voicemail where you are and stay put so that they can come find you because they'll hear yes. it on your voicemail. But, but that's such a great idea. And do that every so often so that if you fall, you know, it's, it's like every hour or so. Now I'm at this position so that if you fall down and you lose your phone or you can't reach it or you get hurt bad enough that you're unconscious, they still get a good idea where you are. <laughs> Texter says 13,000 feet equals 13,000 steps. I can do that in one day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You know, make sure you bring your hoodie. Uh, yeah, a um, couple of you are questioning if he should be on the hook for the cost of that search. Mm-hmm. We have that conversation a lot. So far, it has not, it generally has not moved to that unless you fake your disappearance. I mean, we've had that happen where, and then it's a conversation about, well, did you disappear or did you just kind of go away? Right. Yeah. I, I know we're coming up to the top of the hour, but we got another search going on in the Gulf we can talk about too. Um. Yeah, I was. I'm trying to do math on the. I'm trying to yeah. do math on the clock here. Um, we'll get to it coming up. We have five five seconds to do it, so we'll get to that uh, coming up in the next hour. We've got uh, a search yet again for someone that fell off. Uh, Carnival cruise ship, maybe we have an update uh, in the shooting at Oak Park Mall that we can get to as well. We'll get to all that coming up in the next hour here on KMBZ.